So very often on this podcast, I share stories from my life, from my past that I think have a useful takeaway to people. Uh, maybe something I recently overcame that I think to, applies to others has some practical principle for life. This time, I'm actually in the middle of some shit. So if there's ever a time uh, for me to practice what I preach, I actually don't don't have a choice but to practice what I preach because. Some shit's going down in my life. Uh, I'm in a documentary that airs on Netflix in a couple of days. It's scheduled to at least. And it's about my time in a cult. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me mention this before. I did a three or four hour series telling my whole story. And, you know, the general story is, if you haven't caught those, uh, at least the way I interpret it, is I entered this strange reality. My first half of the time there, it was incredibly enlightening it was kind of a utopia that I had always theorized of being in, uh, where people were connected and it wasn't a society of intra-competition, all that, all that nerdy stuff, sociological stuff. And I learned a lot from them, from the group One Taste. The latter half, I began to see more of the dark stuff, the, the negative things, the harm they caused, etc. And I also learned a lot of things. Maybe in spite of them, or maybe not. Maybe, you know, they were self-described as a left-handed path, which is a spiritual term uh, for a path into darkness, uh, whereas right-handed paths are like the calm, uh, calm, controlled meditation stillness paths. This one is kind of like uh, you know Vajrayana, uh, you know that kind of dark tantra, red tantra, going deep into chaotic emotions, sexuality, lust, anger selfishness, manipulation as its own means of growth. And when I speak about my time in the cult, you know, ever since I've ever publicly spoken about it, and it's been many years now, um, I tend to get hate, or I should say heat. Heat's maybe a better word. I, can't, I tend to get attacked from both sides. I get attacked. Obviously, one taste is not happy that I say things that I know to be true about some of the, the dark stuff. Um, and there's also a bunch of people, some of whom I'm very close with and whose feelings I care a lot about uh, with, who's, who've left one taste but have a different view on their experience. You know, maybe they abstract things differently where they also like to hold, you know, they like to emphasize that they gained so much from the experience and therefore they like to downplay some of the dark things that I see. Obviously, these are our opinions, and mine is mine, but such people get upset at me. I'll put them in the crowd of spiritualists. I'll explain that later. But I also get hate from the other side, the people who, you know, those of outrage culture that we see on a larger scale who see a man speaking about a cult focused on women's sexuality where I do admit negative things happen, I do call it a cult, but I also have many positive things to say that really pisses some people off. You know, in both cases, in my opinion, there's a bit of improper abstraction where both parties, those defending them and those attacking, uh, want to put events and people into black and white categories of good versus evil. I've done other episodes on the us versus them paradigm, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reflush that out. But basically, I get attacked from both ends. Sometimes the attacks get under my skin. But for the most part, they kind of cancel each other out, and I'm a bit used to it. This Netflix thing, 
is bringing up a whole new set of that. Um, well, I'll, I'll share the details in the moment, but for, for like six months, I've had this idea, this concept of uh, making an episode titled The Anabolic Psyche. I just thought it was a cool phrase. I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, you know, some of these episodes, I have the, the principle, the foundation, and then I build the house and add the details later. Other times I have a doorknob and I kind of build it. I try to build a house around it. This is maybe one of those times. Um, but it's basically the idea, it's the metaphor that one psyche, one soul, uh, has properties just like one's body. And you can strengthen certain things so that you can deal with certain things, so that you can do certain things on a non-physical level, let's say. And if you're weak in certain areas, you know, it's, uh, you're not going to do as well as you go through life. And this idea came back because, you know, I feel a great amount of weight uh, on me right now uh, because of this Netflix thing. There's, there's been a couple things coming my way, and it's kind of exposed to me where I'm strong and where I'm weak on a, on a psyche level, on a soul level, if you will. You know, I, I've, I get uh, something that's come down simply because this is like maybe the, the highest profile um, telling of the one taste story is, you know, differing opinions from people, the kind of thing that I am used to, right? And that's a certain amount of weight that it can be stressful, especially when it's people I care about who are arguing me, with me about interpretations. But that's a, that's a weight I can lift. It's uncomfortable, but I can do it. Um, I have noticed that I am a little bit weak when it comes to um, when I think someone I like is mad at me, you know, admittedly, this is like maybe a, a more, I mean, I'm, I might overreact at times. Not to even say that's wrong. I, I do care, but like, I do notice that that kind of makes me feel like I can't lift, or I, I doubt myself at, at times. Whereas the other kind of thing that's been down the pipeline that I've heard, where I'm very strong actually, is I have heard that since I'm one of the people that speaks openly about the negatives or, you know, the, the dark parts of One Taste, uh, I've heard through the pipeline that there's a, a committee that has formed that have conference calls and strategize of ways to attack me. I don't know how the attack is going to come, but that kind of thing, actually, for whatever reason, because I know I've been talking to a lot of friends, and that specific thing, I think, would make a lot of people feel small and scared and run away, which is why a lot of people don't speak up. Um, but for some reason, I don't know why, in fact, I might even have to attribute this to one taste of like strengthening that muscle in me. When I feel like I'm being unjustly attacked or someone I care about is being attacked, I, get, I feel really big. I just feel like, like bring it, like I'm, I'm happy to go all the way, and, uh, which may or may not be a good thing, but that is a muscle, you know, a metaphoric muscle group I, I'm in, I have very strong. I've been thinking about this and the, the concept of anabolic psyche of like, okay, these are these uncomfortable things coming my way. There is kind of a basic, there are some basic principles here that apply to everyone that uncomfortable things happen in life and you have to lift the weight. Sometimes you get attacked, sometimes negative things happen. But, I, you know, there's something in me, especially with the idea of being attacked, that make me feel strong. And, uh, you know, like this is like going for a deadlift uh, max that I can do where it might be challenging, but when it's done, I'm going to have this huge rush of endorphins and feel amazing. But then something else happened, <laughs> right? Because I've, uh, you know, not that I've ever wanted to be enemies of my, my ex-cult, uh, even though they, they certainly demonize me now 
for what I feel is telling the truth. Uh, you know, on the other end of things is Netflix, which is airing this. And I'm going to generally say Netflix, but it's actually a production team that I've been in communication with for years prior to the show being sold to Netflix. But I've been going through contracts recently. I'm going to collectively refer to them as Netflix. They lied to me about certain things. They lied to me about uh, the use of certain footage I gave them. And some people's privacy is being violated. And it legitimately is my fault. I did trust the word of people um, in the production team. That was a judgment call. I, I just trusted that consent would be found. And if not, I mean, I was told verbally that Faces would be blurred, but that's not the case. And I have no idea what, what the footage they're using, and people who I care about are very understandably upset. And that feels like, I won't go into the details beyond that, but is, that's a heavy weight. But that is a very heavy weight that doesn't feel good to lift, right? Like having debates with people, you know, being attacked, even being attacked legally, I feel like I can handle that. It's like, bring it on, I can rep that out. But this thing specifically with guilt, you know, and especially, you know, I think the, the, uh, those upset with me are, are fully justified, and I, I'm, I'm trying to take as much responsibility as I can. That is legit, and I feel really bad. And I feel in that moment, that is a weak muscle group for me. Like, I feel myself a little bit um, tempted to fold under pressure. But the great thing about one's psyche versus one's body is that a lot of our strength comes down to the actions we take and the thoughts we think and how we direct our attention. So in this episode, I am, of course, going to be sharing some tidbits of what I'm going through, uh, some relevant details, but this is an episode, The Anabolic Psyche, about building strength of your soul. Building, you could call it mental health if you want. I want to use the word soul because I've been feeling spiritual lately. Building a resilient soul that can handle shit, that can deal with the heavy weights. Um, and this is directly things that I am counting on, that these are principles. I'm going to share three types of principles that I am heavily leaning on to get through this difficult time. Um, and yeah, and, and we're going to be talking about these dual forces, and it's kind of perfect that I get attacked by these two separate groups, um, because they, they, I also feel like they represent two kinds of temptations that can really make your soul weak. And I've almost succumbed to certain temptations, and I am going to admit to some things I'm not proud of here. But the dual forces are the spiritualists, I'm going to call them. These are people, you know, in this case, represented by one taste and one taste defenders, some of whom I do care about, who I feel are applying a false negative to reality. They're, they're looking at events and be like, oh, yeah, nothing bad happened there. You know, no, no one was harmed, which I think is untrue. And we can call that spiritual bypassing, right? They're basically re-abstracting events in a way that they feel more comfortable. I think that is one temptation towards weakness. The other side is the materialists, the outrage culture people who don't care about nuance. Apparently, the Netflix team that is, uh, it does seem like they're not going for telling a full story that I thought they were, and they're just going to go for the easy sensationalized hit of like, oh, look at this weird sex cult thing, uh, who seek to destroy people based on us versus them. It's very reptilian, at, at best, dog brain behavior of like, okay, those are the other weird people. Let's, uh, let's fuck with them. 
lack of nuance, who in terms of uncomfortable truths, they apply the false positive where they're like, oh, we're going to label these people as a cult. Everything is bad. We don't care about nuance. We don't even care about this guy who's offered us a lot of content and a lot of information, me, because basically they've, they've shut me out, which is the materialist move, you know, the, the, you know, because both of these, both of these routes have temptations. So actually in this episode, I'm going to speak about three principles that I'm living by right now, moment to moment, that ascend from material to spiritual. And as I've done in many episodes, I feel like this is the way you have to look at things because if you just look at things materially, you might be practical when it comes to dollars and cents, but it often leads to nihilism. And of course, if you just focus on the spiritual and skip the material stuff, there is a grave danger of greatly disconnecting from reality, which is something that I think one taste and one taste people have done a lot, which has also caused harm. Announcement time, I decided to move my podcast to Substack. I just really like the Substack platform. You know, I also have the History of Man Substack, so I'll probably share the, the rewards. If you subscribe to one, you get both or something. Um, but this is just to say, I'm moving to Substack because I might want to sometimes share articles. But otherwise, if you're subscribed to the podcast, everything else will look the same or should look the same. But if you do want to hear from me and if you do want to get content updates or see what's going on, or get my upcoming written content where I will be sharing parts of my book, my memoir from my One Taste Time. You can check that out on my new Rwando Substack. Link will be in the show notes. Starting with the most material of all, the body. I'm going to recall some things from the, the very sciencey nerdy episode that I did a while ago called, on physiological toughness. And I'm going to have to repeat some principles that are kind of basic, but they're very important because as discussed in that episode where I went through all the nitty-gritty science, a lot of our ability to handle stress, even things that we perceive to be purely mental stress, like the example I gave was uh, hearing that the stock market is about to crash. A physiologically tough person will have their adrenaline spike and come back to calmness. They'll be able to deal with the stress well. A physiologically weak person will have a long, prolonged stress response and that news will crush them. And we all know what this looks like anecdotally. It is supported by the chemicals in our body. And this, this has to be said again because it is the most basic thing. I have been noticing, like, you know, I've been dealing with different bits of news that has been difficult around this documentary the last week or so. And very simply, when I'm tired, I take it way, hard, way worse. Um, I've been avoiding substances for a while for other reasons. I had been kind of using cannabis as a crutch with the stress of moving with the baby. Um, and then I just got, I kind of got bored with it or I just felt like it wasn't serving me. But the, uh, on Sunday I went out for a, a father's, uh, you know, it's kind of like a father's hike with young dads in this area. You know, someone passed a joint, you know, whatever. It just seemed like the right time. But I noticed that the same exact thoughts that I'd been thinking earlier. Nothing had changed in my reality. No information had changed in my mind. I just started taking it so much worse. It was like very obvious, like to use our physical analogy, it's almost like someone injected some chemical in me that made my muscles weak. Like I felt, felt myself crumbling under the pressure over the same exact news um, as opposed to dealing with it well. So, you know, not, I don't know if cannabis has that effect on everyone. It does on me. Some other things that are kind of obvious, like sugar, you know, 
being on screens. These are all things that weaken my psyche, at least. I don't know if that's true for everyone else. And as said in Hamlet, fatigue makes cowards of us all, you know? So on the basic level, and I try to remember this anytime I'm feeling blue, a lot of our emotions and a lot of our thoughts, be positive or negative or no thought, especially, but especially when we're like scrambling in our head and our thoughts are abstract demons or making us feel bad, a lot of times there is a physiological root. And if you get a good night's sleep, which sometimes requires some abstract uh, processes to, to settle us down. And, you know, I had an episode recently on slaying our demons. Sometimes you have to do some things that are not physical to help your physical body rejuvenate. But that is so important. I mean, it's, again, why, you know, anytime I coach someone who's feeling morally weak, the lowest hanging fruit is to go to the gym, adopt some basic strength program, because when you're pushing iron and seeing yourself grow, and it could be anything, right? It could be any kind of physical resistance training. But where you see your physical body get stronger, it does support your ability to deal with non-physical stresses. I mean, everything in our ability to perceive the abstract is there to serve our genes passing on, which means our survival. So everything is connected in that way. So just the basic things that I've been reminding myself to do, you know, I, I love the idea of the four elements. Uh, jitterbug perfume, how to live forever kind of stuff. Uh, you know, air practice of simply focusing on your breath, being aware of sensation. And ultimately, you know, they speak about thinking right thought. For me, the most simple right thought is to not think in words. Thinking in words is tempting, especially for me, who's obviously very verbal and I, and I you know, stringing sentences together is part of what I do for a living. It's very tempting to fall in love with words and explain things even to myself at times. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, anyway, just to, to end this thought here, the best thing you can do with your mind ever is to not think in words. A friend just recommended, my, my buddy Orpheus just recommended uh, The Surrender Experiment to me, which is a book that, yeah, you know, those kind of spiritual books I only feel called to when I'm dealing with something. Uh, where I feel like I don't have control. This was months ago about something else, but yeah, it's just a reminder. Simply think without words. The best wisdom will come out of you and the calmest perceptions and the clearest perceptions really taking in real reality are, are only possible when you're not putting abstract symbols in between you and reality, right? Like you don't say, say to yourself, this is a cup because then you're not directly interacting with a cup as opposed to tank, taking in the sensory experience. Obviously, the cup thing is uh, completely, you know, it doesn't matter, but there are many situations where think too much in words, fall, you know, fall behind these, you know, these abstractions, toxic masculinity, violator, perpetrator, victim, you know, dangerous, like these abstract words are, are used to weaponize people and make people feel bad. Um, I, I'm... I just posted a thread on the history of man substack on mob mentality where I kind of run through how mob mentality forms and how peaceful people uh, can get co-opted emotionally and also in their thoughts to do things that they wouldn't, would never do violent things. Um, yeah. Anyway, same idea, but you could, you could, you could protect yourself from those kinds of things, either from the outside or even your internal demons by focusing on the state of gnosis with a G where you do your best to not think in words. It's the only way to perceive reality directly, 
water practice is simply drinking water. I'm always low on water, stretching, bathing, that kind of thing. But I, you know, I fill that in. But another thing that I don't always keep up with, but it definitely makes me feel virile and strong is arousal control. This is the, the fire practice of making love with semen retention, not releasing. You know, I've spoken about arousal control in many episodes. There are a lot of claims about, uh, you know, cycling sexual energy that I can't prove. But one thing I stand by is when I make love to my wife and I don't come and I let that extend for long periods of time, I feel like the man and I feel very empowered and energetic and, but also calm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just believe that that's true. Too much ejaculation as, uh, as Mickey from Rocky says, women weaken the legs. Uh, and finally, the, the earth stuff is taking care of the body, eating right, avoiding sugar, avoiding things that make you feel weak. And, sp- and a specific kind of exercise, we can bring this back to resistance training, but something I've been also paying attention to that very greatly affects my mental state, my soul, if you will, is the state of my spine, right? If I make sure to f- flex my spine and, and work my spine so there's no cracks and kinks, I think better. I don't know exactly the science behind it. Is, it. is it tension in the neck leads to headaches, leads to poor blood flow? Is it simply, I don't know, some primal thing? Is there so many nerves, obviously, in our spine? I don't know how to explain it. I'm speaking completely anecdotally. When I make sure my spine is in a good state, everything else seems to be better. Joseph Pilates said, you are as old as your spine. So, yeah, that's all I have to say on that. Actually, I will say the one lifestyle change that I've, I've done recently, and it's been great, uh, I've been sleeping directly on the hard floor with like a very thin like egg crate. It's been great for my back, man. Like sleeping on comfy, I don't know why I said man, I don't know who I'm talking to, obviously, many of you are women listening. Um, but yeah, it's been great for my back. When you sleep on a hard floor, it forces your body to relax, especially if you're in a position like sleeping on your side. Whereas when you sleep on a soft mattress, you can maintain tension in your body. And then people wake up stiff, paradoxically, when they sleep on soft things. You sleep on a hard mattress, you sleep on a hard floor, it forces you to relax in any position, and then you wake up feeling better. Those are the most material basic stuff, the body stuff. We'll move over to the next level of abstraction, let's say, in the movement towards spirituality and moral principles, which is, we can call, the heart. And very simply, it's, being with the uncomfortable sensations, uh, there's actually a one-taste phrase, which I, I, I find useful, which is the truth carries the most sensation. In the one-taste world, sensation was seen as this thing like kind of like chi in Chinese medicine, where the more you feel, the better. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but there is something to be said about actually feeling your feelings rather than contracting against them. And the thing that's come to me in these moments that I've been challenged and uncomfortable with what's coming down the pipeline in my direction is actually a quote by, uh, if you've seen the HBO series, Band of Brothers, great series, one of the best war, war, uh, war tellings ever. I, I recently read the, the memoir of Major Dick Winters, who's, who's the company commander, one of the main characters, but he's also a real person. He wrote a real memoir. And I love war memoirs because I feel like as far as principles of masculinity this is where it's real, right? Like, you know, he, he has a book on his time in World War II where he's not trying to teach anything. He's not trying to give leadership principles. He's just saying the real shit he dealt with, the real bullets flying, leading real men in real battles. 
And once in a while, like that's 90% of the, 98% of the book is him just telling events. There's 2% of just a realization, like a simple thing that is supported by all of these events, which is a line that has stuck with me. Very simple. A man must first conquer fear within himself. I believe he, he said that line in one of his first battles, you know, retelling one of his first battles. And it's like, uh, whatever happens on the outside, you know, you get hit by a bullet, you make the right move, the wrong move, you win, you lose. The first battle is always the battle within yourself, that, that fear, whether you succumb to fear or not. And I've been using this as kind of like the, my guiding principle with what to do ethically. Like, am I acting out of fear? Or am I being a little bitch? Am I going to respect myself later for, for how I proceed? I'm going to speak about temptations in a moment when we get into the mind section. But that's simple. Uh, you know, and that, that's one of the reasons why I've become so obsessed with military history because, you know, having a lot of real story to get across a simple principle, I think is, at least in my stage of life, is a lot more useful to me than having everything explained and filled out, even though, well, anyway... You know, and actually, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I think it's an interesting idea that I was speaking to a, a therapist some time ago who mostly works with younger men. And this, he was saying how in the first couple months of working with him, working with the therapist, uh, they almost always become obsessed with Jordan Peterson. And they also want, so want to talk about Jordan Peterson and Jordan Peterson's last thing he said on a video and blah, blah, blah. But at a certain point in their developments, uh, they kind of lose interest in Jordan Peterson and they become obsessed with Joe Rogan. And the interpretation of that is Jordan Peterson kind of represents a secondary father figure for a lot of us that have wounds to our masculine side. You know, he says what to do. He kind of explains problems. He really empathizes with anything that maybe feels victim-y but then in, within you, but then also gives you kind of an outlet or like a direction. And that's very useful. Like when we're really in shit and out of control, we want someone to explain problems to us and give us a clear solution. But when you're no longer feeling incomplete, that kind of gets boring. And it becomes more interesting just to hear people shoot the shit and share whatever they have, uh, you know, whatever they know in, in a casual setting, which is why then, you know, things like history or Joe Rogan maybe becomes more interesting. And actually, on that note, you know, I, I've been very troubled by this thing that I, you know, I need to face the consequences on because I definitely made... I made a, a, a big judgment error on, uh, you know, sharing footage of, of people uh, without, without their consent. You know, uh, I assumed they would be contacted, but I didn't, I didn't uh, ensure that happened first. I was telling one of my buddies, my buddy Chris, about it. He's like, yeah, it sucks. You, you did something wrong. You have to suffer the consequences. Uh, but there is a, a, a healthy versus not healthy way to respond as far as guilt goes. And he actually uh, referred to me, uh, I guess, a controversial clip in, uh, in Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, where Indiana Jones, he has it's implied that he has relations with uh, a 16-year-old uh, girl uh, and then abandons her and then runs into her 10 years later. And she's obviously very upset. I believe this movie was from the 90s when it was okay to at least imply that a grown man had relations with a 16-year-old girl and abandoned them, abandoned her. But, uh, you know, obviously she's livid and she's extremely angry and she's justified to be angry. That, that is fucked up of him. And he does say sorry, but he also says, 
I did what I did. And, uh, and you don't have to like it. I don't know if that's the exact quote, but that's what I scribbled. And, you know, I am very sorry for the, the big mistake that I made. And I should, you know, not that I'm trying to whip myself, but, you know, whatever happens, you know, negative things that come my way, uncomfortable things, it's on me to deal with it, right? I'm going to talk about the temptations that almost detracted me from that kind of, uh, that kind of direction. But, uh, yeah, that is. And ultimately, that is the master morality way to look at things, right? It's tempting to adopt slave morality and paint myself as a victim. It's like, oh, these bad Netflix people, they tricked me, they lied to me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that, that is true, but I'm not going to use that as a defense morally. I might use it as a defense legally if I have to, but, you know, I made a mistake. I made a judgment call, a judgment error. Um, I didn't have bad intentions, but I didn't do my due diligence to protect people I care about. And I did what I did. And I, myself, have to deal with whatever comes down the pipeline. Um, ah, I, feel, I feel feelings when I say that, which I think is a good thing. Uh, which brings us to the last part of this, right? The mind, truth and consequences, how one chooses to abstract reality. Because while... I think it's a great practice to attempt to think without words and directly experience immediate reality. We are human beings and we do need to use our higher order thinking functions at times and deal with things that are not immediately in front of us as I am right now. And it is important to frame reality. This is the most dangerous part and why we're leaving it for last because this is where all our demons lie. This is where my demons lie. Like I have, I'm not going to analyze myself beyond what I've done in this moment, but like, yeah, I have something with, uh, with guilt and mass criticism that might be an overreaction. It does seem like a weak muscle if I compare myself to other people that I, that I respect, uh, as opposed to, for some reason, I have a very strong muscle, maybe a stupidly strong muscle when it comes to dealing with confrontation. Like, I'm totally willing for that. Yeah, anyway, I, I've already explained this idea. One does need, though, to frame reality, right? If you don't frame reality in some way, you're going to float off in space. One of the things that gets people to buy into a cult reality, as One Taste has done, or political party reality, or even the way Netflix sweet-talked me and got me to believe a certain thing that maybe isn't true, it does come, and maybe I have this as a weak muscle as well, but I think it is a human need to know where we, like, what frame are we in. You know, this goes back to relationship principles. The masculine sets the frame. It's actually a gift he gives, hopefully benevolently, to the woman who chooses to surrender or not within his frame. Uh, we all want a frame. We all want to be in something. In fact, I, I, you know, I'm going to share this on the History of Man substack later. Uh, just the, the idea that I did this in the Super Perimeter episode a few months ago. Alpha males especially seem to need spirituality because we need to be contained by something, right? Everyone lower in the mammalian dominance hierarchy can lean on the lean on the perimeter, lean inside the perimeter or lean on the person ahead of them, right? Who sets their perimeter and protects them from the outside world mentally or physically. Whereas if you're at the top of your social group, if you don't have something that also contains you, whether it's a belief in a higher power or strong moral principles or whatever, 
you can feel crazy. It's actually for this very simple reason that as social mammals, we evolved to have something above and below us. So anyway, there are two temptations that, have, that I think uh, tempt anyone in a situation where they're dealing with uncomfortable situations. And they are represented by the two, I'm not going to call them enemies, but the opposing forces against me, the, the, uh, the spiritualists on the one taste side, the outragers on the Netflix or public side. You know, they, they do represent two, I think, their temptations as far as abstraction goes. The, the, the material temptation wasn't so hard for me, uh, I think just because of the type of person I am, uh, but it, it is to just deny, right? To just look at basic things, to not draw meaning from anything, to just look at the, the hard facts and ignore, right? Like right now, I've been complaining to Netflix and, and proceeding towards legal actions, and they just ignored me. The same people who are super friendly with me suddenly won't return my emails, and that is a strategy that anyone can deal with when confronted with something difficult. Like, I mean, this, this particular thought didn't cross my mind, but I could have ignored all the people complaining towards me. It was an option, and they wouldn't have a lot they can do, at least not immediately. That, of course, would go so strongly against my, my conscience that I, I couldn't do that, but it is, it is tempting. And maybe, you know, in some other situation where the material payoffs were much greater, or the material risks were much greater, maybe I would be more tempted by, by that route. I think a lot of people go that way, and I think the people who choose outrage without understanding nuance are going by that, right? They're, they're drawing a line in the sand and being like, okay, anything that's not coddling me is an enemy. Uh, maybe that's not exactly the way to put it, but basically, right? Not, someone that's not on my team, not serving my survival, must be the enemy. Uh, must be the other. We can make them look stupid. We can treat them inhumanely. We don't have to. We don't owe them communication or any sort of dialogue. We don't care. The other temptation, which has been a little bit more tempting, based on my personality, I guess, is to spiritually bypass, to try to reframe situations where I feel like, you know, what I did does, you know, isn't so bad, and blah blah blah. And this is something that I, I think, one taste is, you know in quotes, guilty of, right? They ha- they've- I'm the first person to say, in fact, of all the people who publicly speak about them, I probably have the most positive things to say. I don't know what's going to make it into the next Netflix video, but I was interviewed for seven hours, and I spend many of those hours talking about the enlightening things uh, for me there, the things I learned, the beautiful things about the community, how I've grown as a person. You know, I attribute so much of my growth there I don't feel like I need to protect them or shield them from the world because they, you know, they've done things too. Um, but yeah, they, they tend to spirit those to defend them or ignore the, the harm they caused are spiritually bypassing, in my opinion. They are re-abstracting things and falling behind statements of like, oh yeah, well, everyone was acting on choice and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't see it that way. I think that is ignoring some parts of reality. And I was tempted to do that with this, right? With this, you know, I hate feeling guilty. And it's funny, you know, with the fact that now I'm getting wind that there's like a one taste community, like digging up dirt and maybe going through my content or, you know, my history for dirt on me. 
It's very possible that some of you guys who maybe I'll be across from one day are going through this. So maybe you'll use this against me, but guilt is a weakness of mine. Guilt for people that I care about is definitely, uh, you know, you poke me there, I'm going to move as opposed to with other things. And there's there's a strong temptation to try to reframe things, to absolve myself of guilt internally. But I was like, you know what? I could do that, but I know right now in this sober moment, I know I would be detaching from reality, real reality, as objective reality as I can possibly see as a subjective person. And that would be something I would not respect myself for. If I did it successfully, as people do with self-deception, maybe I wouldn't remember it. But the, the results that I would live with for sure even if I could somehow trick myself into not feeling guilt, as I think a lot of people in one taste do, my, the fidelity of my reality would be worse. My, I, in order to not see the bad things, the results of my actions, I would have to make my reality a little bit more fuzzy. I would have to ignore a lot of details. My ability to perceive things would become less sharp. That is the non-moralistic reason why truth is so fucking important, which is why, you know, I say what I say online about, you know, in, in media publications. I hope I wasn't edited incorrectly, but at least in the real live interviews that I've done, you know, I let everything out, the good, the bad, the ugly, maybe with too much idealism and naivete, and maybe I'm going to suffer for that as well. It is what it is. I did something. Whatever comes, I'm going to deal with it. Deal with it. Maybe not suffer. Uh, but, uh, you know, comes down to what would ha- have me respect myself, but also what would allow my reality to remain sharp. I know that I would not. It's like I'd be closing my aperture to reality a little bit if I wanted to block out this thing I didn't want to see. So truth is, I made a judgment error. Uh I didn't think as much as I should have in a moment of, uh, you know, I trusted people that I should not have. I went off of verbal confirmation as opposed to written confirmation. And I was a little bit loose with, you know, I shared a folder of footage assuming that anything that was used would be run by me and done in a way where like consent was followed. And that was my bad. I'm not apologizing to you, whoever's listening. I have apologies. I've been making apologies, and I have more apologies to make to people. And it makes you feel shitty. But that's just what happens, right? I did something. That's what comes down to it, right? I've actually been thinking in different contexts the the phrase that was popular post-2016 election. You fuck around, you fight out. And I think that applies to everybody. That applies to one taste right? They, they were, were negligent. I don't necessarily think malicious, but I do think sometimes they were. They were negligent with people's psyches. They harmed a lot of people. They didn't listen to the feedback to try to reduce that harm at times. And they have some shit going on. It uh, applies to me too, right? I, I spoke to media. I should have known that I can be edited in any way. I was trusting when I should have been a little bit more wary and I'm going to deal with the consequences that, that come from that uh, as best I can. It's been interesting. I, I've, uh, 
this whole thing, you know, the last couple months in my life have been very difficult. Not for this reason. This is kind of like the cherry on top, but simply moving countries with a family, you know, I, trouble integrating, difficulties, wife and baby have been stressed. It's been difficult in the Mipagala household the last couple months. And, you know, in these moments, of course, this is just the thing, when, when, it's, when it feels like you have less control over your life than usual, it is more interesting to look at spiritual lenses on reality, right? Like people have recommended the books of the surrender experiment to me many times. And it's like, ah, you know, ah, I've read Eckhart Tolle about, you know, whatever. But yeah, you know, when you're dealing with shit and it seems like out of your control, it's like, yeah, okay, back to surrender, back to thinking without words, back to focusing on grounding and meditative practices and returning to our commitments. And, uh, you know, there's the, it, it has felt like in these moments of difficulty, there is a way, it is tempting to look at yourself as a victim. And actually, admittedly, over the last couple months, there have been moments where I'm just like, fuck it, this day was so hard, and I, and I get a couple beers. And not that I think drinking beer is bad, but I don't think it's best for the anabolics of one's psyche to use psychoactive substances from a victim place of like, oh, this sucked and therefore I deserve name your vice. That's not because you don't really enjoy it. You're kind of trying to reduce the fidelity of your reality in those situations as opposed to just enjoying it. You know, there's plenty of healthy ways to enjoy such things. And uh, they, they've, these moments have felt like these moments of decision have felt like spiritual tests. <laughs> you know, I've been, you know, kind of joking with my buddy Chris about like, as these things hit me, like we've had a lot of random chat, like kind of inexplicable misfortunes, misadventures. Like we shipped a bunch of our stuff from Thailand to Mexico and uh, customs or someone went through our stuff and stole like half of our stuff, like all our baby clothes and ran. It's like such a random thing that I would not have expected that does suck. It's a spiritual test. You know, you can, you can choose to be a victim or you could just be like, all right, I'm going to take this one on the chin because I'm not a bitch and I want, this is the action that will have me respect myself. Uh, and, and, you know, and anyway, with things like guilt and stuff, this is what's going to keep my, the fidelity of my reality true, even though it's unpleasant. This, I'm doing this for that. I'm dealing with guilt. I'm dealing with discomfort. I'm taking every phone call that a part of me doesn't want to take because I have to deal with this thing that I did. It makes me think this is our last thought today. I'm actually surprised this episode is under an hour because, yeah, anyway, these kinds of things, I'm actually feeling feelings. Sometimes I go off on long tangents. Uh, but, you know, there's the, there's the quote from Joe, you know, Joe Rogan often says this on his podcast, hard times make hard men, hard men make easy times, easy men at times make soft men. You know, that whole thing, I have to go through the whole cycle. Uh, it's a different kind of hard. And you know, when I look at it, and the reason why I love this metaphor of an anabolic psyche, of how do you build up and strengthen your psyche so you can lift more, you can be more resilient, you can do more reps, is like, these are my opportunities to lift weights, right? Like in my day-to-day -day challenges, yeah, there's some hard things. I take on challenges. I do hard things intentionally, as a lifestyle thing, you know, obviously I like combat sports and lifting weights. I enjoy it. 
but they're not that hard. They're certainly not that hard on my psyche, right? They make me feel good, but you know, once in a while, it is of one's benefit of of your. It's an opportunity for growth to deal with uncomfortable sensations, and you know, this kind of hard time for me. It's a different type of hard, man. Uh, you know, hard in the sense of like. Yeah, it's been connecting me to my spirituality, like connecting me to my core, what I really think is right and wrong, what is really the right course of action, whether or not someone says this or agrees or not. And honestly, the fact that the range of opinions about this situation, about One Taste in general in the documentary is so wide, you know, like there's people who I know and like and respect who are intelligent in my eyes who want, you know, who want everyone to go to jail, who like want the worst things to happen to the people at One Taste and maybe they've been victimized themselves or they are friends with people who have been harmed and they just want, you know, they just want shit to happen. And there's the other side of people who I also love and respect, who I think are intelligent, who like want to absolve One Taste of all wrongdoings and, you know, in a sense, sometimes blame the people harmed. And... Anyway, it's a very wide spectrum. It's like there's so many ways to abstract the same events. And not to say that I'm actually correct, right? I look at this, and I see this end, and I see this end, and I think I'm, I'm the moderate. But I might be an extreme to someone else, and that's just how it is too. And I'm open to having life show me where I'm in line or not in line with reality. And, you know, it's a funny thing. Some last thoughts, you know. Since leaving One Taste, there definitely have been moments where I have missed it, to be honest, right? It was a very fun time. It was a chaotic time in my life, a time of like rapid, it just felt like a light acid trip at all times where like so much life was happening condensed in such a long, a short space. I was just speaking to a friend, uh, another uncomfortable conversation, but she has what I think is a very healthy view on things of like, it was... uh, a weird social experiment that a bunch of us got wrapped up in and some things happened that weren't so great, but a lot of things happened that were great and we have our ways of dealing with it or not. And, uh, but I also miss the community and I miss kind of like this level of realness, to be honest, like where you're like really going into the shit with people. Um, and it's funny, here I am kind of feeling like I'm in one taste again, where I'm having a lot of difficult conversations with people where we're really going deep into things, where there's plenty of uncomfortable feelings. There's also some gamesmanship. I don't know exactly who's on whose team or who's trying to elicit reactions. You know, if you caught my episodes on my One Taste Time, my time in the matriarchal cult, one of the things I loved as someone who loves the intricacies of human dynamics and how people perceive reality and play off of each other, man, One Taste was like the most fun when it comes to gamesmanship and the most learning of like everything had a subcommunication where you had to unpack it and see is like, is this, you know, this person has good intentions and this is true, but they're also like kind of embedding this thing to get me to do for their own purposes. And which one, you know, you're balancing things and you're trying to piece together who's talking to whom and who's scheming on whom and who's colluding to kind of form a certain reality so that you get to do something it, is, it can be exhausting and it does consume your life if you play that game, kind of what made it a cult. Uh, but it was also so fun, right? And here I am kind of 
involuntarily thrown into this shit again where like I'm between one taste and Netflix between, you know, X one tasters and out the outrage public, I'm sure will come out. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from random people about that because of my positive defenses. I mean, not defenses, but my positive things. Yeah. And you know, and all of this shit, all of the storm outside, again, it just forces you to get real with, or I should say, it is a strong opportunity to get real with yourself. We could call it your spirituality of what is actually true. Where is your backbone? And I will say, while the temptations have been strong to avoid, to turn off my phone, to maybe hide, that, that one hasn't been that strong, but the, also the temptation to bypass. And, and, you know, these things, you know, in this situation, maybe the material bypass, if you will, wasn't so tempting. But as I said, you know, I'm, I'm a human being. I can be tempted by things like money and whatever, security and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, now I am rambling. Last thing, just to put a cherry on top, just a piece of news for anyone not involved in One Taste or knows nothing of this, uh, just for your own enjoyment of the story. Uh, it seems like over the last couple of years, One Taste, their legal teams, their media teams have been working on a, a counteroffensive, it has been called by a few people, uh, to relaunch, I guess, last, you know, this week. Uh, they did a live orgasm demonstration in New York City, which they haven't done in, a, in many years. Um, they have a new manifesto. It seems like they're taking like a social justice bent. Perhaps, uh, you know, maybe it's organic from, from the founder, Nicole. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just like a rebranding of the cult, looking at the, the outrage market, trying to get them on their side of like we're, you know, we're defending uh, women against uh, toxic masculinity, something like that. I don't know exactly, but the story continues. I thought, you know, the events of my book were over in 2015. And I've been in pieces, you know, it's taken me a long time to really get my head around how to correctly or best interpret the events. But uh, yeah, the story continues. Maybe my book is going to have another 100 pages now because who knows what's going to happen. And with that, I will leave you with principles of the anabolic psyche, building strength of soul. I hope my story of right now is useful to those who maybe have nothing to do with it as well. Principles of physiological toughness, the, the basics, the material, the hard stuff of being with sensation and choosing courage over a little bitchness. And the hardest part, which is correct abstraction. Truth and consequences, choosing fidelity over spiritual or material bypasses. And with that, I say goodbye. But also, check out my sub stack. It'll be in the show notes, the link. All right, goodbye.